Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, the Thriller Podcast. What's new this week, Mike? Not much here, but I know a lot for you. Congrats on the new house. Not a new kid, just so everyone knows, but a new house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess it's been a it's been a while since I've been on the pod, but uh, yeah, I bought a house and um, trying to fix it up, trying to get in before Christmas. So I know we've been a little bit lacking. A little, we haven't had a pod for two weeks, but um, you know, we have this. We have a great, a great pod for you today. And next week, you know, this had to be broken up into two parts at least. And we're going to commit in the new year. You know, this is this is going to run us through the end of the year. But in the new year, come back January, we're going to come back hard. I'm going to be focused, bringing you at least four four pods a month. I'm going to commit to that, Mike. You're going to have to edit at least me four times in a month. Woo! That's a lot. <laughs> well, that's two books, right? That's one. Yeah. Scott Harvath book and one through and something book, else. So. Yeah. yeah. So we're, exactly. we're going to, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to get back, back on track. We're going to do it. And speaking of getting on track, the last time you heard from us here on no limits, we had Ryan Steck on, or was that the Mitch Rapp podcast? Did I post it here? You, I think you posted on both, but if you, if you, if we didn't, you should go check it out on the Mitch Rapp podcast for sure. Yeah. Check it out over there. So the Mitch Rapp podcast has great things going on. And as I just mentioned, the Scott Harvath podcast, our season two, we are chugging along with our sixth Brad Thor book. Is that right? Yeah, I think we've done seven, but we're on on the we because we we went four. We did one, Rising so. Tiger. Yeah, yeah, right. So we're going back to the original order, which means the first commandment, and now the last Patriot. That's the next okay. one we're going to do in January. Yep. Yeah. So be sure to check out No Limits, the Thriller podcast, and the Mitch Rap podcast for even more of our content. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. It is Jack Carr season. But today we round out the fifth book we're going to cover, the third one in the series. And Chris, this is a big one. Savage Son. Yep. Yep. Very, very good book. Uh, you're you're going to, when you listen to it, you're going to find that it ranks pretty high on my list. Uh, it's it's a very good book. I was super excited about this one. And I think overall, it's, I think, most fans' favorite and Jack's favorite to write. Probably the one he enjoys talking about the most on interviews and, and when he does the media tour. I feel like this is the crux of the series. Perfectly written book. I can't, I can't say anything. I can't say any more. You know, something came to me when we were talking with Tyler, who we brought on for this one. What do you think about covering the most dangerous game? We do a quick 15, 20 minutes. Our first short story on Thriller Pod. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I reread it uh, last night getting ready for this today. And there's a lot to talk about. And you can see the inspiration. And I remember reading it in middle school, as, as you'll hear us talk about. But I'd, I'd like to dig into that for a little while. That'd be a fun exercise. All right, I'll uh, I'll pick out my short story anthology from high school and I'll reread it because I, I think we had to read it for my senior short story course, along nice. with the lottery, like you said on the pod. Yep, um, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, then we'll we'll, we'll do a, do a little ten minute, fifteen minute. Nice. Well, uh, enjoy this talk of Savage Son with Tyler Boer, Jack Carr, super fan about Savage Son. All right, guys, today we welcome a good friend of the pod. Is this your third time on the podcast to talk Jack Carr? Yes, sir. Yep. Welcome. Third time on. Thank you. We we, ha we haven't had many uh, 3P guests, so it's like it's like a little club there. 
Yeah, Chris you, Howdy. you, Chris Howdy. No, Chris Howdy's been on three times. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think oh, he was wow. the first to three Pete. Kyle Mills three times. Three times oh. Kyle. Yep. Andrews and Wilson. How, how many times has Jack been on? Once or twice? Once. Okay. No, I thought we had him. No, we had him twice. We had him yeah, twice. I was gonna say. I think, twice. You guys, I think you guys had him twice. Yeah, we had him once before the before the oh. show, and then once after the show. Right, because yeah. we had him for in the blood also. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. The second one was harder to get. That's what I'm stuck in. Yeah, he, he was, was like, busy with the show. Real strict time. The first time he's like, just let's talk. Like we had him to talk Vince Flynn. Yeah, the first time was Vince Flynn, and the second time was the show. That's right. Well, today, what are we covering, Chris? Today, well, we've we've teased it for a long time. We are talking Savage Son, and boy, I love this book. I, uh, uh, Tyler, we're going pre production. Tyler, uh, Kyle said, Kyle, geez, a flip. Tyler said that this was his favorite book of the series, and I think I have to concur with him. Ooh. This is a very good book, and I, right from the gate, we get the. I love how. First of all, I love how Jack does the little, you know, what is it called? Prologue, like the, his, you know, no, notes from the author. Author's note, yeah. And, you know, talking about the most dangerous game and how that was his, you know, he wanted to do that. And originally this was supposed to be the, you know, introduction of James Reese in this story. But he thought that, all right, I can't do that. And I think it, that was a good choice. And I'm interested to get your guys' take on it. But boy. Did I love Savage Son? Yeah, I think um, I think for him to like that, and that's like his favorite short story as a kid, and it impacted him a lot. I think I know he wanted to do it first, but I mean he he claims that he couldn't just throw readers into this character. He had to like develop the character over a couple books prior, which uh, I think was a def- definitely a good move because right now it's pretty much smack dab in the middle of his series and it's it i think it's still the best in the series but um chris correct me if i'm wrong but you still have one more in the series to read right i do and i'm, I'm a little i don't want to read it because mike's already already crafted it so much <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> i it's it's good it's good it's good right, i, I right. would put it at the bottom of my list on the jack Carr favorites but it, it's still a good novel it's a good thriller novel i was a little tired of the pandemic literature when when i first picked it up so maybe i was a little weary from from you know lethal agent and yeah I all these s- others i could see reading it like 2020 2021 and, and being like all right I'm, I'm tired of this topic but uh the the content in and of itself is pretty good and it's pretty different compared to the other four yeah right i think that threw me for a loop it was really really different coming off of savage sun yeah and then combine that with the pandemic and just, yeah, it threw me for a loop. So I think, what do you say, January, February, maybe we'll, we'll cover that one and, and we'll get the devil's hand out and we'll have finished the whole series. So I think a reread yeah. is, is going to be necessary for me. I mean, you know, we're completionists on this pod. So like, I, I can't, I can't like let it, let that hang out there. No. Um, and one of the things you guys brought this up, I think, so Terminalist was very different from both. True Believer and Savage Son. I feel like True Believer and Savage Son were the most similar, like very different stories. But to me, I can tell he's like getting to, into his stride of, of his writing. And like those two together, I think are my, are like one, two for me. Uh, Savage Son, I think we'll, we'll see what the scorecard says. But I think Savage Son maybe eking out um, or probably eking out True Believer. But yeah, Terminal List is, is different. Would you, would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I think 
terminal list is very shocking the first time you read it. Mm-hmm. And these other ones, you kind of know what to expect. Like terminal list is probably my second favorite just because of how much it impacted me and got me into like thriller, thriller novels in general. But once you read terminal list once, you kind of know what's in, in general, what, what your what Jack Carr is capable of writing. And so you kind of know what's coming in a way of, of at least what level of violence and revenge and things like that. I think terminal list is very impactful just because of the first, the first read pretty much. Right. Yeah, I'll agree. I, and I have to say terminalist, you get a sense of who this character is, but it changes him so much. And true believer is that transformation. And I feel like Savage Son is the completion of that transformation where we're seeing the character come out the other side where true believer, it was a journey the whole way through Reese had to like Jack wrote, you know, discover a new life and a new, yeah. a new lease on life. And I feel like Savage Son, we're all in on that now. He, he's just ready to rip and combine yeah. that with meeting the Hastings clan, which geez has been hinted at for forever. And we've only really met uncle Hastings. Yeah. I mean, now we're getting Caroline, Jonathan, Rafe. I, I couldn't believe these were Rafe's first scenes and first like real words and dialogue besides an appearance in the background, a true believer. Yet I feel like I know Rafe so well. Yeah. Yeah. That whole family and that whole environment feels so flushed out and lived in and real that I think that helps sell the first half of the novel for sure. Yep. Not to mention one of the absolute best performances by any thriller character ever. In Caroline Hastings. Yeah, for sure. Just going fucking ape shit to defend her <laughs> her home. And I, I can't wait to get into that. One of my buddies, John, just started reading this. And he's he's at this point in the series. And he had made a good point. I wanted to bring up that Jack can be poetic with his writing sometimes. And he had this little quote. It says, Katie's eyes focused on a drop of rain as it hit the glass and trickled down the pane, weaving its way among its relatives, all born of the same gray clouds. I was like, that's probably like the most poetic writing he's done, at least to this point in the series. But any poetic writing he does is always on something like rain or something that's not story related. Yeah, I like how he taps into, especially here, I I guess a little bit of True Believer as well in terms of like describing the African, you know, landscape in in the bush. But here we we get a real sense of like, you know, Montana and. Yeah. mountains and you know the compound and you know obviously he, i love how he does another name drop to brad thor what if katie gets off and she's reading uh, uh oh what, what was the one backlash she's reading backlash right um uh, you know he's tapping into his inner brad thor in terms of laying out the setting but i like i just it felt lived in and like i wanted to be there i could just spent more time in montana yeah. i well, I don't want to skip like too far ahead, but I wanted to spend time in the six months where freaking James Reese is in Siberia. Like it shocked me when they said he was there for six months. I was like, oh. you're going to put that all in, in an epilogue and not even talk about it. <laughs> Yo, Just this ghost of- that's coming in and out like that. That was sick. That was fucking badass. Speaking of poetry, though, I think that short passage, that, that little tiny passage about him going across Siberia as a specter, as a ghost. Yeah. And how the native people and the indigenous groups respond to him and he leaves gifts for them, but then he, he steals their snowmobile. Like I I think that might be Jack's 
finest writing in a poetic sense, in a true like literature sense, not his best action thriller writing. Yeah. But that short passage, it hits so hard and it could be like a standalone poem, you know, like Robert Frost or something. I think that selection shows Jack's skill and just rounds out who he is as an author. That's more and his dangerous, most dangerous game connections. Yeah. Round him out more than just an action thriller writer with badass shoot 'em up scenes. It, it's yeah. stuff like your quote, Tyler, and and that one you mentioned, Chris in Siberia, that just I think is why he stormed onto the scene. Part of it's James Reese and this revenge story, and we can connect to it. But it's elevated, hitting at another sense of literature that not every thriller writer gets to. Yeah. One one quick thing about Siberia, and then we'll get back in correct order. <sighs> There's there's a good little uh, surprise right there. I I was uh, listening to it again today, and he talks about how he gripped his ancient weapon. Well, like every other time that line is used, it's the it's the Winkler tomahawk, and this time it was a traditional bow. And right, like you don't right. expect it. He doesn't say it's a bow. He just says ancient weapon. And the next line is that somebody died by getting an arrow to the head. And you're like, mm. oh shit, he has a bow. He has the. He, we'll we'll get into whose bow it is, but yeah. Um, I, I like how it's like a little bit surprising. He doesn't quite say like he has a bow. You think it's the tomahawk right. at first, but it's good writing. It's just yeah. good. It's good storytelling. So speaking of poetry and good storytelling, you know, Chris, how I like to share my thoughts on these books <laughs> before we get into it. Why don't I kick us off with a limerick? And, uh, you know, I, I tried to channel my inner Jack, you know, poetic sense here. The trap, the stalk. And the kill. Tis blood that Reese and Rafe shall spill. Time for the hunt. Zharkov he'll confront. In the most dangerous game, what a thrill. There you go. Tis. That's the first time you used Tis in a limerick there, Mike. <laughs> have both of you read The Most Dangerous Game? Yes. I have a, yes, actually I have. a hard copy of it that's kind of hard to find. Oh, oh nice. that's cool. I read it in middle school. Definitely remember reading it as a kid. I actually can picture it was assigned. I, rem- I don't remember anything else about this teacher, but the seventh grade English teacher assigned it. And I remember reading it on my porch and I loved it. We read that and we read the lottery in the same class. And I was uh, like, it was probably the only time I've enjoyed an ELA class. And, uh, and then I picked it up again last night cause I, I wanted a refresher and dude, it's, it's just so good. I, I was trying to remember, I thought it was 1923, but it's night. It was released in January of 1924 by Richard Connell originally published under a different name, but I think it was originally released in a newspaper just yes, a, on like so. the top quarter of a newspaper page. Um, and then from there it really took off and they actually filmed a black and white movie based on, on Richard Connell's original works. And what's oh, cool yeah. about the mo- black and white movies, they use the same set from the original black and white King Kong. So it's that Island and people are just being hunted. So they no like way. left the set up and filmed them at the same time. And it's set in like Brazil or something, so it's kind of cool how Jack was inspired by that. Yeah. But it was a very tropical setting in an island off the Brazilian coast. Yes. And he's doing the Siberia stuff in Kamchatka Peninsula. And you know, that that's what I think inspiration is. You don't copy one to one, but you use something to inspire you to do it your own way. And yeah, I I think that's done so perfectly. Yeah, I like I like Medney Island in general. I like yes. I don't know why, but I like the name. Yeah. I don't know why. But um, I just like the layout and how it, you learn about it through the last, you know, the, the third act of the novel. Um, it's just a cool setting. 
speaking of the axe, so that made its way into the limerick. The trap is part one, the stalk is part two, and the kill is part three. So what do you think of the trap starting out meeting, I guess, a whole cast of characters? Oliver Gray is brought back in, the Central African Republic stuff, and you know, both Papa Zharkov and Zharkov Jr. What do you think about this cast of villains that's kind of being set up to lay the trap for Reese in the first, like, third of this book? I'll have to say this was probably, like, my, I don't know, I don't want to say least favorite part, but just I was a little, like, confused because it, it's sort of thro- throwing a lot at you. And, you know, I liked when we were back with James with Reese, but then, like, who is this Russian guy? But then we get, like, introduced to a couple of characters that, or and like, we get introduced to the Russian mafia. We get introduced to the Russian mafia's son, Alexander. Alex, Alexander. Yeah, Alexander. Right? Yeah, Alexander yeah. is the um, bad the son, and Ivan Jarkov yeah. is the dad. See, that's one of the downfalls of listening to these books. Is I I do struggle with you know the names, but anyways, yeah. the thing that helps though with listening to them is that he that um the he Ray Ray Porter does voices, so it helps me differentiate who's yeah. who a little bit. Oh, he's really slow too. He's very methodical. I will have yeah. to say, Ray Porter fucking kills it. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. he is really, I don't know, if, I, I would listen to him read, I don't know, the newspaper to me. He's he's very good. Well, I've listened and read the book three times all separately over the okay. years. What's your take, then, on the audiobooks versus the imprint? I I mean, I have a really long commute, so I prefer, I, I prefer the audiobooks, but it's because of Ray Porter. If right. Ray Porter probably wasn't reading them, then I don't know if I'd feel the same way. Right, but he just helps me paint a picture in my head a little bit better, and uh, these these books are very easily transferable into like movie scenes and first and second and third acts of films. So, being that that's like something I really enjoy, it's kind of right. what I put it into eventually. You could follow along that way. Yep. Yeah. Like I even imagine like camera angles and stuff of scenes when Ray's reading for some reason. That's that's interesting. Very cinematic approach. Oh, I guess just back to the beginning. Um, yeah, I I was like a little, it, it was jumping around a lot. But then once he settled in, like then then I was like I was locked, and I didn't stop listening. It helped that I'm I'm paint, currently painting my my house that I bought, and so I crushed this in literally one one and a half days. I started last night again because oh, nice. I had started nice. it. We were supposed to do this pod like a while ago, and then I I, I had I wanted to fully refresh myself with it again and i crushed it. it it was that's how you know i couldn't put it down i feel like the i feel like the first like maybe like five chapters maybe was longer and maybe he might have had to trim yeah. it up a little bit but it might get a little bogged when oliver gray is essentially trying to get hired yeah. by ivan jarkov but he he just wants to use his empire to basically hunt down Reese because he knows Reese will kill him from the events of True Believer, yeah, uh, and killing his father and and working for what was the other Russian guy Andreinov, Andreinov, yeah, Andreinov recruited Gray from what I recall, right? That was on the beach, yeah, with the cameras, yes, yeah, and then so Gray is being really rounded out as a weasel because he's doing this quid pro quo with with Zharkov, so you're basically going to mess around with the Russian mob boss at the highest level for a personal revenge story because he doesn't want to look over his shoulder his whole life yeah and he thinks he's smart enough to play that and i don't get the sense that he is and so 
you know he's going to fail, but then at the same time, you kind of just hate him personally. What do you think about Jack doing all this like sexual stuff with Svetlana, you know, that maid who ultimately is one of Zharkov's spies? How do you feel that Oliver Gray was portrayed? I feel like he really makes him a weasel and makes yeah. him like dislikable on purpose. Um, there's there's always like somebody you you hate, especially in films, just because of the way they look. They're casted very purposefully to look slimy and distrustful. And like that's how he's written. And then like all of the sexual stuff, I think that really rounds out that maybe he has just been a bad guy his whole life and like just you know stumbled into his role with the Central Intelligence Agency due to his background of being a Russian immigrant, basically. Right. Um, but they they definitely make him just an absolute slime ball and dislike dislikable from like the get go. Which I mean, from True Believer, you already dislike him, and then from the way he weasels his way into the mafia with Zharkov is is just multiplies that. Um, I know you said it gets bogged down right there a little bit, but I kind of like whenever he is like getting the suits from Zharkov and he ta- right. basically convinces and talks Zharkov into taking him in. But it's revealed, I think, that Zharkov was in charge of running and instructing Oliver's uh, recruiter, right. basically. So, like, it was like Zharkov was like the man behind the curtain and true believer, almost. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So, Gray to me reminds me of of a Vince Lynn character in Peter Cameron, and this guy who thinks mm. he's the professor, the professor who thinks he's very smart. Um thinks he has one up on everybody but in actuality he he you know couldn't make it as a field officer so he got stuck in the desk he has like daddy issues mommy issues impotence issues and because of that he's very insecure so you know obviously jack plays up on that throughout the novel and really makes you you know, disliked him, and the and the fact that you know that he he obviously played a role in the the killing of Reese's father makes him just like despise him even right. more. And at the very end, you know, I guess I'm jumping ahead again. At first, I was like, "Holy shit, James is really gonna let him live?" Like, uh, I was like, "No," I was I was I was almost <laughs> like, "Oh, I don't like this book." Like, no. And then a one eighty, yeah. you know, he he ends up killing him, like, which is I'm like, "Fuck yeah!" Like, let's do it, but. <laughs> yeah. He was being a weasel there too, because he was like, he was. "Oh, I might get out of this situation." Yeah, Reese might think I'm valuable to hunt down Nizar Katan, and Reese is like, "Nope, bye." <laughs> Click. Yeah. So uh, I'll ask it later, but um, re- remind me to bring up Katan at, at the very end. But yeah, there's there's a couple of in the blood connections, and we can't say too much. But I think something I was originally maybe thought was lacking in Savage Son on my first read definitely definitely comes full circle like two books later so i think jack's playing the long game yeah and even when we get to the epilogue we'll talk about the long game being played and while we're on oliver gray i mean the watch even the rolex submariner right. is, has been this totem you know hanging over everything and well one reese finally gets it back in the end spoiler alert but uh it was gray was wearing it as a token from hiring that landry guy to hit his father it's really coming full circle and i think jack is I think this is a benefit of his outlining. He's always talked about being a plotter instead of a pantser, yeah. where he is thinking two, three books ahead and, and knows where these characters in this universe is headed. And I think that pays off when all of these nuggets and seeds 
a book or two earlier pay off later. So I think Savage Son is a better book having read In the Blood, if that sounds if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually agree. I think that that this felt like something was lacking a little bit. And then even even through like Devil's Hand. Right. You're like, man, I, right. I just like want that that payoff and exactly. you eventually get it. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, I, we can just talk about it now. So I have read In the Blood, um, haven't read Devil's Hand. And now, now I've read Savage Son. So I can see how he doesn't talk about any of this stuff in Devil's Hand at all. It's on the back burner a little bit. Would you agree? Okay. Uh, so. Yeah. So something that you'll notice in each book is the the publisher wants each book to be able to be picked up and read without reading the other ones. So right. you'll see a brief review towards the very beginning of each book where, you know, they'll say, well, James is like in this book, James got a surgery to remove a brain tumor that he got from an experimental drug that right, right, made right. him take revenge from coast right. to coast. So there's always these little, these little like up, they aren't updates. They're like small summaries of past events. And so you'll see stuff like that. But, and like, I believe, you know, they mentioned Siberia later on as well. But yeah, you'll see like little summaries, but events yeah. from book to book aren't really detailed and carried over unless they're, are, unless they're like reviewed. And I feel like the devil's hand though is a very intentional I'm going to zoom in on America and the American political system and even military in response to something like COVID-19. And even I'm going to purposefully set this in a post 9-11 and bring up 9-11 very centrally in that book. And so it really just has a different feel and tone and even theme than this series. I almost wish it was like a spinoff story in a yeah. sense. And maybe I'm missing the connective tissue. It's there, but I didn't see it on my first read. But I feel like, can you imagine if Savage Son was three, In the Blood was four? No, and I, I don't think you can do that. It's just like you can't like True True Believer. Even though it's not my favorite, it's probably the most important in the series because you can't have the next four books without in without True Believer. But it does focus in on like in Devil's Hand focuses in on the U.S. quite a bit, and yeah. it kind of makes you forget some of these events a little bit, except for the thing in in the epilogue of this right that's true right but chris this is not a spoiler but maybe something to get you excited for the only book you haven't read in the series is that someone important knows that reese is good at at crossing names off of lists and he has a list for him okay and all right yeah that's, more lists yeah let's get back to the list that yeah. works so well in book i'd one. have to say this is not the only time we've recently come up where a later book can then elevate a previous book. And so when we were talking about um, the latest Brad Thor novel we did, that and that was a case where it's supremely elevated, a, a book that we were down on. Like I, if I had never read In the Blood, I wouldn't be down on this book. But now that I have read In the Blood, I'm even higher on this book because I, I know like how it's going gonna, it's gonna to cash out. Right. And I like when authors can do that, when they can, you know, elevate their work in a sense, by, by giving us those payoffs. And like you said, Mike, by, I think by being someone who thinks about a couple stories down the road and not just singular focus, because I feel like, you know, with Kyle, just to bring it back to like Mitch Rapp, it, it's very much been insular right now. You're like, right. almost, and you could see like these don't really know where I'm going type 
type scenarios or like I just want to stay within this one thing. But I, I kind of like when they're a little bit more connected, a little more, a little more tissue between each novel. Even though I know they're they're supposed to be standalones and like people should be able to pick up the series at any point, I, I think it would be hard to like pick up a True Believer though. Like, yeah, or even to even to to pick up this one. I mean, you could read it, but you don't get the weight of not having read Terminal List. Yeah. Know? If we I just look at you would you would you would do do yourself a disservice. Yeah, yeah I agree. Hundred percent. If you just look at you know Brad, Vince, and Jack. I think this one is the most serial in the sense of it, it is a story. It is one man's life and journey and transformation over various periods of his life where, sure, you can say that for Mitch, but they're also just kind of badass action adventures. Sure, you could say that for Scott Harvath, but he's just going on all these cool journeys doing doing awesome shit around the world. Yeah. Where James Reese, he is a character in the fullest sense. He He's human. He is, I would say, more human than almost any other superhero in these books or, or you know ubermensch yeah I, he's a human he's a real man and part of that i want to move into here is his relationships with the people around him and that i think is a hallmark of jack carr and his life personally in the teams and as a family man it's all about the people around you and the relationships you build and this first third of the book is where we get the hastings clan yes rafe let me just first read a description of this man because Rafe Hastings is a legend. And the way he's dropped right here, the first time he's really on scene in a dialogue on page. Now listen to this uh, physical description. We'll see who we, who we picture in our mind here. A little fan casting maybe. Quote, Rafe was a traditionalist who preferred the feel and soul of an earlier time. If Reese was Kydex, Nylon, and Kevlar, Rafe was leather, brass, and walnut. The man's athletic physiques were obvious to the most casual observer, with broad, thick chest and powerful arms, built by decades of intense physical training. Though their wardrobes were nearly identical and their builds similar, no one would mistake them for brothers. Reese's hair was dark with flecks of gray in his stubble. Rafe was two inches taller than his friend's six feet, and his build was leaner, with broad shoulders and a narrower, narrower waist. His longish hair was a sun-streaked blonde that hung from the back of his cap and nearly touched his collar. His eyes were an almost iridescent green that stood in contrast to his tanned face. A discolored scar swept the length of his cheek. What do you think about our introduction to Rafe here, Ty? Uh, I, I really like the comparison, how they compare, you know, Reese is Kydex and Rafe is, is leather holster. And it really um, gets flushed out more and more throughout the book with, you know, Rafe likes a 1911 and Reese likes a Glock or a SIG. And then it goes into archery as well. Rafe, you know, has a traditional bow, which, which I do as well. I have about seven traditional archery bows. So whenever it comes to that topic in this book specifically, I love the descriptions. They're not too detailed to where it bogs down people who aren't into it, but the guys that are into it, you know, that Jack is well aware of what he's writing about. And so does he get it right? Yeah, one one hundred percent. And it, Perfect. It, it, he he sets up so How much you know, stuff. <laughs> I shot a bow once in Boy Scout. <laughs> I got the shotgun merit badge also. So I was gonna say, on. did you get the bow the bow badge? I got um, the archery badge, I got the rifle badge, I got the shotgun badge, and then I haven't shot a gun since. <laughs> well, we're opposite. I didn't go to Boy Scouts, but I shoot often. So um but there's so many good setups. Uh, there's the, there's this archery setup where 
Reese surprises Rafe with the traditional bow, and later on he needs that skill to be proficient to make it through Siberia. And then there's also the setup at dinner here towards the beginning of the book with Katie, and they're talking about Reese's ridiculous adventures in Alaska yes. that he was gone for. Um, I can't remember for how many days, but basically dragging a, a canoe or kayak and yep. going over glaciers and things like that. Like those story setups that we don't know about James because we haven't been around around this family. And Katie, typically in films, your main character is like someone who's new to an experience and then experienced people explain things. And that also gets that explanation for the audience. Katie is that person for those scenes where she's the new person, doesn't know the information, the Hastings inform her of that stuff. And that also informs the reader of the capabilities of Reese, basically. But um, you were talking about doing some fan casting. Is there anybody specifically that you're thinking of? Well, Chris, you're a movie guy. I feel like you know all the movies and actors, but I, I'm getting like a conglomeration of a few, like uh, either Thor, what's his name? He and his brother. Chris uh, Hemsworth? The Hemsworths. I feel like either one of them, you take different pieces of them. And then the scar through his cheek. I never actually realized that before because I don't think it comes up too much. So no, now I'm thinking really. like a Mitch Rapp style look, which for me is always like a Gerard Butler. If you were taller, maybe like a a like a young Mel Gibson. I'm thinking just because this kind of not a mullet exactly, but this like shoulder length hair coming out the back of his cap. He's uh, kind of like an amalgamation of a few. What I'm thinking, thinking of like John, John Bernthal for some reason. Like that, that was like the image that uh, came in the Punisher. He was in, um, he was uh, in Walking Dead as well. Walking There's, Dead, okay. Shane. Yep, yep, yep. He's been in a lot of a lot of things recently. He was in that um the the new like spinoff of the Wire um show. We run the city. We own the city. And it's hard to like fan cast because to me, I was trying to think of like someone who has played like someone from South Africa, or <laughs> you know from, you know in. So someone from you know southern africa who's white you know like part of, like that that sort of nationality funny funny you should say that i got the perfect person here <laughs> all right who is it? uh Chartol, his name is Sharto uh copley he was in like district nine he's from south africa and Charlotte. uh he's in a new movie called the beast as well um, oh he was in okay. the a-team elysium District Nine is like his probably his biggest lead role movie, but oh, yeah. he's like a, a skinnier six foot South African, or, uh, yeah, South African actor. Um, there he is. There's Rafe. So that's a good one. I like him mainly because he's from South Africa. That works. So I just looked up the Lethal Weapon Mel Gibson, and yeah, like that age <laughs> with, with kind of that hair, but maybe smoothed a little bit more. Between those two, those are the that exact two profiles. Yeah. I mean, Gibson would have to be taller also. But if you want to see what Char Charteau looks like, um, you could type in District 9. He should be the first actor on the on the cast list. What about uh, Jonathan Hastings, the father? I like in, in cases like this where it's an IP like this that you would like to bring a little bit of respect to. You don't want to cast something like a Liam Neeson because they right. bring so much of something else that you might not want for the IP. Right. where I think Liam Neeson might visually look the part and probably act as well. And he could probably pull off the accent and everything. I just, I don't know. He's the first person that came to mind. So That's funny. Know. Cause I was thinking like the same thing. I was also thinking like Woody Harrelson. Like, I don't know if Woody Harrelson mm. could do, I mean, he's done obviously done serious, but I don't know if he could do that, that, um, that kind of accent. Yeah. But, um, Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Jeff Bridges. 
He could. I can go for a Jeff Bridges. Or a uh, Josh Brolin. Ooh, they got to have the gravitas. They really have to like have that Josh, aura. Josh Brolin has an old young look that probably wouldn't fit. I, I need, you need somebody that looks like they've been drugged through gravel. Yeah. Uh, you said Jeff Bridges, right? Like, I'm going Jeff Bridges. Yeah, yeah, Jeff Bridges is probably pretty good. So uh, Anthony, I have, Hop- Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, that's possible. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Um, definitely with with how rough he looks and 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 how he could act. But I had a question for you guys. So with the the information we know from the TV show, and now seeing this relationship with Katie and James really grow in this book, and how much stuff they do together, can you see the actors from the show being in this in this way? I 100% can see the actors, but I'm not too sure I could see where the characters were written into in that last episode or the last few episodes even. I don't know if I can get there with those storylines. The actors, yes. The visuals, yes. But something about the way the two of them were in Senator Hartley's office in that house on that final attack scene, something about their relationship is far too broken or disturbed. Which in the book, it, it was disturbed. And there's this lingering lingering question of, did Reese play with Katie's life? And she has to know the answer to that. And one of my favorite things about this book is is when that plays out. We get that. The, we get the answer. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. And when that plays out, I, I'm on the edge of my seat for that kind of stuff. Often more so sometimes than the action. So I think visually, the Katie of the books. And in this book, I can absolutely see Constance Wu playing. I can't see it getting there without some major heavy lifting. Chris, what do you think? And the, the biggest problem is if they do this in order and do True Believer next, she's not even right. really in that much at she's all. She's not around. Well, yeah. I mean, he. I think he's, from what I recall, he goes to see her. He sees her, doesn't contact. Yeah, he, like, he, he goes to like the, yep. um, which is a news anchor. Her office, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, he watches her. He calls yeah. and hangs up. Yeah. I, I honestly don't think that they're going to go, like they, they have... They're gonna go their own way. Like I, I could see them just fully writing a new story. You know, they sort of set the groundwork. They they did a, a pretty true adaptation, or as close to you know what you could get for TV for Terminalist. They might call it True Believer the second story, but I, I could see them going completely you know off book because that book yeah. is kind of like a little unfilmable, you know, because. A lot of it is this emotion. Are you really going to spend four episodes in South Africa or yeah. in, uh, in Mozambique or you know Zimbabwe? Where they're in Mozambique, right? Yeah, I yeah, yeah they're in Mozambique. I I do like two to three there, and then have them yeah. get picked up by by recruitment for CIA, and then like two to three with that, and then the last couple episodes be like the Ukrainian. Well, the, I I've already seen that they're not going to do Ukraine, but the Ukrainian scenes from the novel be the last couple episodes Mm -hmm. where he, you know, basically it'd just be like a a finding new purpose for life and then a recruitment section. I wouldn't mind leaving out the, like even the second half of true believer, I really wouldn't mind a season two that does getting a new purpose in life in Africa. I really want to see the sailboat, the Africa kind of transformation, the poaching, maybe an episode or two. But I would want the main storyline to be the Savage Son storyline. Like I think what would could bring him out of that state of mind is the Hastings family needing yeah. him. And, and you know, 
maybe it's Rafe who's taken or something, just some bigger yeah. jolt that gets him out in the game again. That's more than just there's a war in Ukraine and an assassination attempt on the president. That's been done before. I think yeah. you got to jump to the personal, the Hastings, the family dynamics, yeah. the Montana stuff. Like get there sooner rather than later in the visual sense. They need to flush out their Freddie strain. And if that's going to be J.D. Pardo's character, J.D. Pardo is going to end up biting the dust, which sucks. But um, that you need to give Reese new purpose for like future seasons, just like True Believer gives Reese purpose for book five. Yep. I kind of wouldn't mind a mashup of of True Believer and Savage Son in a yeah. season. I, I think that's the way to go. I, I was just going to say that because, like you said, they can't leave KD, you know, this actor. They, they obviously cast Constance Wu. They're not going to have her on ice for an entire season. Right. Yeah. So I could totally see them bringing the Savage Son storyline with her into this. Don't you want to see the Montana stuff? Like, don't you want to see Katie and Reese in the cabin in Montana and the kiss? And he goes, welcome to Montana right after. Like, let's get there. Yeah. So I I think like it's if I had to guess, it'd be some sort of amalgamation between these two stories. Yeah. So while we're talking about Katie, uh, not to read another long quote, but again, this is some of my favorite writing from Jack. And it's crazy because people remember him as the gearhead, the action guy. Oh, he's a real seal, so he can get you in the thoughts and emotions and mindset of, of what the guys are going through downrange. But almost one of my favorite things in his stories is the relationships. And so listen to Katie. For anyone who isn't bought into the Katie storyline, who just maybe saw the TV show or is reading the books and isn't sure what they think about her, she literally doesn't know if Reese played with her life when he took out Ben and which meant the dead switch would go and blow her head off. So before Katie knows if she can really trust and see Reese again and and develop something, she thinks, Hey, quote, who was James Reese? She wondered, was he a domestic terrorist as the government had proclaimed when they were desperately trying to find and kill him, a vigilante hell bent on avenging his murdered wife, daughter, and unborn son. Was he a disgruntled veteran? who brought the wars home to the home front after the ambush of the, his SEAL team in the mountains of Afghanistan. Was he her savior? Would he have blown her head off to avenge his family? Was nothing sacred in that quest, including her? I love what Katie is grappling with here. Absolutely love how she needs an answer to this question. Yeah, and I like what she ends up doing to get it. She mm-hmm. breaks a couple of rules to make sure that she can get what she what she feels she needs out of the situation. Um, and the only way I see this happening in the show is if uh, what she needs to know is if Reese knew she would be safe from the car explosion from Steve yes. Horn. That's the only thing that he did that put her in danger. Um, that's the only thing that would be comparable to the debt cord question, really, in the novel. Did you guys see that they today they tease that something's something's coming about a season two? They've been teasing a lot. So who teased and on what platform? Because I'm waiting for the official stuff because I've heard a lot of teasing from Chris Pratt, a, from Jack Carr. It was an Amazon executive. Okay. Vernon Sanders said he, okay. there is some exciting announcement to come very soon. Because we haven't heard from Amazon. We've heard from everyone else. Yeah. Well, that's an Amazon executive. So oh, that's good. The, the best teaser so far and the best sign that there's stuff in the future happening is the, the Danger Close podcast with Chris Pratt as the guest with Chris. Yep, uh, yep. by far. So they offered some guarantees without guarantees. They offered some pretty strong. Yep. We're not going to let the fans down. Something's yeah. coming. I love on the Wikipedia page. Uh, 
it has Jack Carr's quote that said in response to the critics is like it's got a really good uh you know fan rating and so we didn't make it for the critics like I yeah. just love I love that he doesn't doesn't give a shit exactly exactly well guys that's the trap the trap is set we talked Hastings we talked Katie coming to the ranch in Montana what the Zharkovs are up to what Oliver Gray's doing and uh, part two is the stalk. I think the centerpiece of the middle part of the book is the hit on recent Rafe and the shootout in the valley. How incredible was that action sequence? I think we needed an action sequence at this point in the book. Yeah. And it landed, landed hard. This is, this is my favorite part of the book. Agreed. This is my favorite part really? of the book. Yes. Okay. The, the, the train up of the, uh, the insurgents from Russia and, there's a few details that you could you could skip over with them, but I don't know. There's a couple that I kind of like actually, like the the one recruit that's looking at his AK. I think he has a uh, AKM, and he sees somebody engraved something in the stock, and he's wondering about it. And like, there's actually like quite a little bit of information about just this like one guy wondering about his firearm that he was handed and who died with it last. Um, there's like little things like that that are kind of unnecessary, but I would miss if like, I knew that they were there before. Um, I like them training up and how confident they think they are. And then when they get into the situation, they are pissed off that they are surrounded by these, by these nobodies and these amateurs because it, it, it doesn't take much for defense and reaction to happen from the Hastings clan and, uh, Reese. Yeah. He keeps on referencing them as, you know, like street thugs, but in right. ultimately, they they all meet their demise, right? I think all all except gonna, one. All except one. Poor bastard. Eventually, <laughs> eventually Dimitri, he's gonna get it. <laughs> That's not the the first time we've seen Capsaicum up the penis, no. right, Mike? Brad Thor has done it, and this book we talked about him earlier was dedicated to Brad Thor, who Brad it had was. played an instrumental role in getting Jack on the scene, getting his first book out there, yeah, putting it in front of Emily Bessler, so. What book think, was it that he puts Cassation of someone's? I think leaving? we just read it. The first commandment, I'm pretty sure. He's oh got yes, pepper spray that, tube yes. up the urethra. Yes. So now I, I haven't. I don't know I if that's an homage. Yeah, dude, I, Brad Thor did that. So I haven't read that one. But my question is, does, does it go into detail? Something I actually liked about this situation was they show you or they they tell you about James prepping it and grinding it and putting it in the oven to dry it out and then making like a solution and then like spraying it in the guy's eye. Yeah. And it, you know, it's described as so painful. If his hands weren't bound, he would have ripped his eye from its socket. Yeah. Um, no, that stuff is really cool. When Brad did it. It was more the, the ongoing joke or the running joke, I think, over th- a few books was there's more uses for pepper spray than yeah, how we typically yeah. use it. And so one of those, I think it's just straight pepper spray up through, you know, uh, a catheter. So that's awful. No, it's not that it's not that <laughs> in depth. So I think Jack is paying homage to Brad, yeah. early Brad. I like how it's a go- it's some sort of uh, ghost pepper that's like the hottest on the homegrown. Sco- it's homegrown too. Jonathan yeah, on the Hastings. Scoville scale. You got one yeah. of those ghost peppers for me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that whole interaction. So b- just real quick, back to like the ambush, which is my favorite part. Um, Absolutely. You know, the, the the hillbilly in the Ford Ford F-250 that stops to help and kind of spoils the bad guy's point of view. He's the person that spoils. But really, it was, um, I believe, Ivan Jarkov makes the call. Event. No, oh, no. Is, it was is Alexander. It Alex? Alexander, okay. It's Alexander because he wants, he hears that his, or or suspects that they're going after Reese. 
yet he thinks it would be fun to have yeah. Reese as a little play toy out on Medney Island. Well, then then he realizes he realizes yeah. that Rafe is S. Rainsford. Exactly. And he wants to save Reese and Rafe to hopefully entice them to come out to the island. So he calls Vic and yeah. got to talk Vic Rodriguez, who's just a G, but yeah. S. Rainsford. I love that too. Yeah. That the, is just the so callback. Cool. Yeah. The callback to the most dangerous game with S. Rainsford as Rafe's pen name is awesome. super cool. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Really good stuff. So what else happens in this valley? You got Reese driving back after he realized the ambush and escaped yep. it. Pushing and the, his and the team vehicle to its limits. Oh, he's really pushing. And, and, and then, he's in and out of cell service, but he's able to get through to Caroline. Yeah. And basically tells them. He says there's there's tears on the on the ranch, which is short for terrorists. And right. he gets there, drops. He sw- basically swaps Katie for Jonathan and Zulu, yeah. which yeah. Zulu does some pretty cool shit in this part, which I enjoyed. This do- this this book has two dogs that are. There's badass. a lot of cool dog stuff in this. Right. Book. Good dog yeah. stuff. Yeah. When Reese fights the dog at the end, yes, yeah. we'll get there. But with the snowshoe, like, yeah, the dogs are really worked in super yeah. well. Well, we've already actually had two dogs with Hannah. With Hannah, right. And I'm glad it's not just the dogs out in Siberia and the Russia stuff. Yeah. I'm really glad it's also Jonathan's dogs in Montana. So, like, you're not just saying the dogs are used for evil by the bad yeah. guys. They're also used as an integral part of life on the ranch. Yeah. There's Zulu, and then um, I cannot recall the dog's name that ends up going on the on the drop with them yeah. in the third act. Zulu's – I like just the way Zulu's described and how Jonathan has absolute obedience from that dog. And so – Basically, Rafe's in trouble. He's barefoot trying to get a buck with, I believe it's archery season, and the only firearm he has on him is a 1911. So he drops his pack and goes barefoot to sneak up on this buck that earlier in the novel him and Reese see, and that Rafe is definitely prepping to to harvest for the year. And so he's going in on that, and the buck gets spooked, which spooks Rafe because nobody else is supposed to be on the property. And draws his 1911 and ends up taking fire and survives in like a pre-made foxhole that's naturally there basically until uh, Jonathan, Zulu, and Reese get there. So that is their part of the ambush. Meanwhile, though, Caroline Hastings is taking charge back at the house. So it's got they've got the girls there, right? Because it's also it's Katie and it's Liz who flew Liz in Senator Thornton. And Jonathan. I guess is it Rafe's wife, pregnant wife? I forget yeah. her name, but that's Senator Thornton's daughter. So these four ladies are just going to go ham on the house. And I think it's Liz and Katie who go to the second story, and Katie's kind of freaking out. And Caroline tells her, "Anybody runs across this yard towards the door, you just shoot them. You pump lead into them, and you don't yeah. stop until they're down." And Katie can't do it. She can't find it in her to take that shot. Eventually, Liz covers her, I think, and. uh and gets the guy, and uh, it's right on time. They pretty much, how many guys do they take out defending that house? At least four, right? Yeah, because what they use to go to the house is the F-250. Um, so I, from from what I recall, or maybe that is after Reese and them get back. Maybe there's another group. Wasn't there like uh, 10 guys in each? Uh, yeah, yeah, actually, you're right, Chris. So there's In each um, assault? Yeah, so there's 10 ambushing Rafe, and then Rafe. there's t- there's ten that were ambushing Reese, and they went to the. I believe they go to the cabin. Yeah. So, but dude, I love that scene. I like this whole part because it's like, you know, we're getting these cuts between the training, and then like Reese and Katie, or, or Reese on the ranch, or Reese, you know, 
going into town, you know, we, we get the archery scene. And I like the tension that it builds up, you know, because we're like, how is it, you know, how is Reese going to get out of this, you know? And then ultimately, I think it's what, because Freddie calls, because he gets the information from Alexander, you know, and then we're like, why the hell does he want, why, why the hell does he save Reese's life in, in the end or, you know, want to keep him alive? And we find out later. But I really like the tension that Jack plays up here, you know, really trying to get you to turn that page. All right, I finished the chapter. I want to keep reading. You know, it. it I, I feel like at this point, that's where it really gets engaging. And then in once we get to part three, in terms of the kill, then it's like, all right, we're 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 racing to the finish now. Right. And the two things are going to happen concurrently after the sit at the ranch. Reese and Liz are going to take Dimitri, the prisoner, the one one live guy. And get information out of him. And he spills the beans because he says, fuck Alexander Zharkov. He blew this op. He's the reason we all died and didn't kill you. And so I'm going to give you this information so you can go kill him. And that's 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 my revenge. And because there's also this story of the lion and, and, the, and the cub. And he has to kill the father. And so everyone's putting together that Alexander has to turn on his dad. And this plan was being organized by his dad. So he, even the, the street thug you know, the muscle guy puts together that Alexander is kind of the one who blew this whole op. And that's happening the same time that Rafe goes off to Romania because they find out in the aftermath of all this that Hannah's missing, who is the sister working this agricultural program out in the countryside of Romania. And that's a good phone call when Caroline is freaking out. And she's like, are you Hannah? Hello? And it's just Reese. And it's like, what's wrong with Hannah? Well, that's where the story is going to turn to now. And we as the reader know from the opening scene, right? You know, that, we didn't even talk about that prologue, how she's being hunted by Alexander out in Medney Island. So when the family's like, shit, our sister is also missing out in Romania, I'm like, damn, this is going to really start picking up and, and, like you said, race to the finish. Yeah, this this actually has the first of two prologues that I didn't care care too much for until like midway through the book, and then I was like, that prologue was awesome, awesome. The other one, yeah. the other one is uh, in the blood. I didn't really care for the the person there where she dies on the plane. With the plane, yeah. Really, I I, okay. I was like, I don't know. There was just something about it that like I just wanted to get started with Reese and stick with that. And then like by midway mm-hmm. through the book, I was like, all right, that prologue was great. Well, that one pays off when he goes to Israel, and you yeah. do find out his relationship. Yeah, yeah for exactly. sure. Exactly. Yeah, I guess like the prologue plays into what I was saying earlier as well. Is like the disorientation. I was just confused. Like I didn't know who. You know, what are we doing here? And then, then we jumped. You know, I we forgot to talk about that earlier. But like, I think I agree with you guys that once we understand who that person was, you know. I guess you get clues because she's someone from Montana. You know that the Hastings are from Montana. You're supposed to like piece it together, right? Yeah, yeah. She they talk about her being yeah. a track star, and that's why she can run so good on Medney Island and everything. And then they talk about her brother teaching her some resilience. And I think she right. she has like interior dialogue about uh, that she wants to cry, but her brother's like picking her up basically, which is Rafe. Right. So. I can't remember my first read through. So, Chris, from you, did you pick up on that when you read the prologue? Did you think this is a Hastings? Do you think it was related to the Hastings? Or did it take you to this point in the book before you're really like, oh, crap, that opening scene? No, because I had read In the Blood. So I kind of like, I immediately put it together. Like, as I'm reading it or as I'm listening to it, I'm, I was like, who is this lady? And then I remembered they referenced that Rafe's sister got, you know, like the whole point of 
the revenge story in Russia was because right. of, you know, it all got sister. sparked. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I just want to relive reading these for the first time and I know and try I to know. remember where I was at. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. We have to thank our patrons. Big shout out to our special operator, Sherry F., our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Dawn, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Recently, earlier this month, we had a great, great time chatting with a couple of them on a uh, Zoom call. Or was it Zoom? Or some sort of FaceTime call. I forget. I'm, I'm, I'm like in a, in a phase right now. You're in um, a fog, man. All that yeah. painting is getting to you. <laughs> the paint fumes are getting to you. <laughs> I know. Um, and you got a really, cold on top of it. Yeah. Um, and I'm making you send talk out for two a, hours in a microphone. Send out a happy holidays to everybody. You know, uh, this pod will be coming out right after Christmas. So hope everyone, including our patrons, have a great holiday. Spend some time with your family as we uh, you know, use this time to rest and recuperate. And we'll be back in January uh, covering more Thriller podcasts. So look forward to us in the new year. All right. And to give Chris a break, I will say, please subscribe, rate, and review using the Apple Podcast app. You can find us online at thrillerpod.com or using the Twitter and Instagram handle at thriller podcast and as always like jonathan hastings says to the lads to the lads